should be called like the bearded episode or something. I, I don't know. I might call it Three Beards and Me. Does that work? That'll work. Three, three, beard. three beards and a baby. Like, remember that movie? Remember oh, the movie yeah. Three Men and a Baby? Yeah. Yeah. Three beards and a baby. Three, three, beards, and a baby. three beards and a baby. There it is. We got a title. Jeez, that didn't take very long. <laughs> I, usually have to, I usually have to think about stuff to get titles like or listen th- to a Or couple. Three Beards and a Lady. Oh, no. <laughs> we're not I have not birthed a child, and I have four of them, so we'll go, we'll go with Three Beards and a Baby. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of EM Over Easy. We are recording uh, from the ACOAP 2017 in Denver, Colorado. Have got three guests that have all actually been on the podcast before. This is a couple of y'all's uh, multiple times. Oh, this is I, too many to count for John. Yep. We, we can't seem to get rid of him. That's true. I'm capable of multiple sarcasm. That's right. That's right. And then uh, Travis Olmer's back on with us. Travis, how are you? Good to be back. Doing well. You doing okay after the Iowa loss? Let's no, let's no, move on. Let's move no. on. Next question, Pick please. Pick at that scab. Good lord. And then, uh, as mentioned uh, before, my my FOMED crush, uh, Salim resides back on the podcast. Salim, thanks for coming on. Great to be on, and uh, hope the uh, day went well for Drew and Tanner. That's I right. Understand That's they right. were taking their boards today. They were taking their boards good today. Good luck, fellas. So they couldn't luck. be here to record, so hope that went well, guys. And hopefully, you're drinking one for all of us. That's right. That is right. Yes, and, and as we mentioned, it's three beers and a, and a baby. Three beards and a baby today here on the podcast. <laughs> or it could be three beers and a baby. <laughs> three <too>. beers. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, I don't, I don't truth, drink either. So that's truth right. in advertising. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so many directions. Baby, three beers and a baby. Uh, um, wanted to talk about something that is definitely fits with some of the other topics that we cover in EM Over Easy. Definitely, a, a, definitely not clinical, but one I think that's important to the practice of emergency medicine, and that is breaking bad news. And I know I, I sent all you guys an outline, and hopefully you took a look at it. And as you thought about it, I wanted you to think about a couple of cases. But I want to kind of start with when was the first time that you remember having to give bad news? For most people that don't know, before I was a, a physician, I was actually a paramedic. And I unfortunately got indoctrinated in giving bad news long before medical school. And it turns out there's not really a training program for that either. Um, and we were, we were joking beforehand, Salim and I were joking about how you kind of do what you've been taught. Um, so I very clearly remember um, the first patient uh, that I had to, you know, speak to the wife. And he had passed away in his sleep. And, you know, when she called 911 we got there, there, there really actually wasn't much of a question in her head. So, you know, it was... I went out and I said, I'm so sorry, you know, your husband, you know, passed away and it looks like it happened in his sleep and I'm sure he's in a better place. I did everything wrong um, that I could probably have done, but mercifully it was a very sweet old lady who was just happy that I was there. Um, And since that time, I've just had the opportunity to see others and listen to others deliver bad news and you get, you, unfortunately it's a skill you get better at with time. Um, and, uh, but, but I distinctly, you know, I can remember everything about the room. I remember how it smelled. I remember how the, the light was coming through, how the curtain flapped every, every little thing about it. Um, but by far it was probably the easiest, one of the easiest cases I've ever had to, to talk about. Well, I had a little bit of a different experience. Mine certainly was, um, first few times, certainly I was watching and, you know, watching attendings ahead of me do it. And then the first time I actually had to deliver the bad news was I was an intern rotating on internal medicine and it was a 2 a.m. transfer to our tertiary center. And I walked in and, and asked them, uh, you know, when, you know, how long have you had, had the lung cancer? And they said, uh, what are you talking about? And I quickly Ooh, started a, uh, to fumble through yeah. 
oh my gosh, am I in the right room? Is this right. the right chart? What is going on? And uh, lo and behold, you know, this person had pneumonia, was going downhill, heading towards uh, sepsis and was getting transferred to us into a secondary to a cancer they didn't know about. I assume that they did. Yeah. And so uh, that was um, a really humbling experience. And I just remember being uh, very, <laughs> very nervous. It was, I was just stumbling through this whole episode. And fortunately, like you, John, the, the family was very gracious. I would happen to have a a decent night where I actually got to spend a lot more time than I'd ever get to spend in the ER talking to the family. And in it, we were able to get through it. We actually made a really good connection, but it's something that I'll never forget. And, and I don't want to be unprepared like that again. Right. So thanks for having us talk about this. I think it's really important. Yeah. yeah. So my experience was even a little bit different than you guys. So imagine being a baby doc in training. So first year med student, um, going to med school and having no clinical experience and uh, getting put into a simulated patient experience um, with a real actress and telling her that she has metastatic breast cancer and her breaking into tears and knowing that you're being videotaped and just not knowing the right words to say and then later on getting feedback and having to watch yourself break that bad news. Oh, man. And so it's something that's always stuck with me. Um, I you know, I went to Texas A&M for medical school and they had a two year curriculum on breaking bad news, empathy, mm. compassion, that mm. sort of thing, which at the time seemed like a very silly thing. And it's probably the thing that I use the most now in my clinical work is having compassion and empathy and talking to people and being able to break bad news. And sometimes it's good news, right? Um, but unfortunately, with the job that we do, the only way you're not going to ever have to break bad news is if you change careers. Yep. So don't show up to work. Yep. Yeah. I, mean, I still remember the first time as an intern, but probably a, a, a story before that is I remember working as a tech in the emergency department in undergrad, and we had a, a, a young, healthy patient come in in cardiac arrest. Um, and I remember being one of the first people doing chest compressions on this kid. And I remember looking down and being like, this kid looks familiar. And then I remember looking up and seeing his brother kind of walk into the room, and it was a guy that I went to high school with. And it was just like this amazing emotion of what is going on, you know, a lot of things like this is somebody I hadn't seen in a while, you know, and, and I was part of the resuscitation team, and it just really hit home. I, I got to be in the room for that particular Breaking Bad News, and I knew the family, so I was there to help console them, but it was just the, the importance of this one thing that we have to do, and I, I'm always amazed at the fact that we do it, one, but two, we do it with little or no knowledge of these people. To me, that's always the, the, the key thing that I bring it back when I talk to residents, when I talk to other people, is that these are people that we typically don't know from Adam, yeah. we've met them before. And it's a different flavor, right, when people talk about their, you know, their family doc coming by, to, you know, talking to you on the phone and comforting and, yeah. and having you know, a family meeting. friend, yeah. right? And, and these are folks that, you know, you may not ever have known them alive, Right. Or you, you, you may have only known them in their last seconds of life. And now you have to, to deliver that news. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about death. Obviously, that's the, the ultimate and bad news. But, but you know, the, your, your, your point about, you know, the, the cancer diagnosis. I mean, I'm sure if you haven't yet, you will have a case where, you know, that simple benign chest pain in a 40 year old guy and you get the chest x-ray and you go, yep, that's metastasis. And yeah. you got to walk into the room when he's there with his two kids sitting there thinking, you know, oh, you just pulled a rib out or you just, you know, threw your back out and, and, and you got to break that news, you know, how you, how you approach that yeah. uh, changes. So when you think about how you were taught how to do it, I mean, Salim luckily went to a place that had, sounds like a pretty robust curriculum. Yep. What were some of the things that you were taught that are right? And then when you actually put them into clinical practice are wrong. So I feel like there's a big disconnect 
between yeah. what you were taught and what we actually do. I'm not going to steal everybody's answers, but <laughs> two of the things that I think jump out and you guys have already kind of all hit on it is getting that rapport with somebody that you don't really know that you don't have an established relationship with. And that's, that's not an easy thing to learn or to teach. It's just one of those things that kind of comes with time and seeing enough and breaking enough bad news um, that you learn how to get that rapport with people. And the second thing I'm going to tell you is this may feel awkward when you first start doing it, but there is really truth to the statement, um, silence is golden. Sometimes just being quiet is a very powerful thing. Um, Just sitting there and listening to what questions they have or giving them a minute to process whatever is going on. And uh, there's, I have way more, but I I want to like let the other guys answer a little bit as well. No, I think that's, uh, I think those are great points. And um, I, I I didn't have the experience of getting taught during medical school. I actually did independent study for my first few years and then went straight into, into the rotations. And so um, I kind of missed out on that and, and really learned trial by fire for quite a while. Um, But, you know, I, I think one of you know, there's a few different goals for us. One of them is to kind of understand what the patient and family what their understanding of the situation is and making sure that we are delivering it in an intelligible way to them, um, which can vary vastly depending on who you're talking to. Um, the second thing is, is to be, is to be honest, but to not, um, crush their hope. So I think they want the truth. Um, but they also want to know that there is some type of hope, um, for, for the diagnoses that aren't fatal, obviously. Right. Right. And then, um, you know, the third point, um, I think is we need to be empathetic with these patients, right? And, and I think medical field has done a really good job. We are teaching this now, and I think we are, do a good job of understanding um, the difference between empathy and sympathy, which makes a big difference. Um, so I think those are, those are a few of the points that I've run across recently. Yeah, and anybody that, you know, has worked with me ever or uh, that I spend a little time teaching, um, I'm very much into the, the physical aspect of the moment. And, uh, and you guys all bring up great points about things, um, you know, kind of how you approach and what you say. Um, I'm, a, I'm a bigger guy, so I always make it a point that um, I try and get um, close to the patient, close to the family, and kind of minimize my presence. I, I kind of always make it a point to sit or to kneel where I'm beneath them so that they know they're the most important thing in the room at the time. Um, and then uh, very much kind of riding on what, what Travis said, um, getting getting people to understand what it is that you're saying and 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 what what you're trying to get across, but also knowing what they they need to hear. I I do a lot of that purposeful pausing and reading the room, right? Looking around, making eye contact with everybody, and seeing who in the room is getting it, right? Because I like to um, because I don't often have a relationship with a patient, uh, whenever possible, I like to enlist a, an ally, right? And if you, if you look around the room, sometimes you get that knowing look, that person understands, quick, yeah. yeah, you're, you know, you're about to deliver a bombshell here. It's coming. And, and you can use that person to help land that information where it needs to be. And, uh, and I think that's just really, really important. And then when appropriate, I, I always make it a point to, you know, in some way touch the patient to, 
you know, kind of reinforce that I'm there with them, you know, hand, hand on shoulder, hug if it's appropriate. You know, some cultures that, that we work with in our emergency department in particular, touching isn't really um, permitted. Yeah. And, and, and that's okay, though. I let them, you know, I let them know um, either by bowing my head or, you know, giving some, some supplicant gesture to let them know. Yeah. Um, so. Another thing that I've ran, those are great points, John. Another thing that I've started to do recently and I've found it really helpful is, is these people need some time to digest. And so I, I've started setting a timer for myself and giving myself 30, 45 minutes and circling back. And then also, you know, sometimes they will have family members or friends possibly that have called or talked to them and there's a yeah, few more questions. Over time. Yeah. Otherwise, there can be a real big time gap between when we see them in the ER and they get placed up into the floor and eventually get to talk to somebody else. Um, and, and that gets overlooked. I know I overlooked it for quite a while. Yeah. I, I got a couple more things. So uh, you want to minimize interruptions. Um, you know, ER is busy. We parallel task like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. This is not the time to parallel task. This is the time that you're going to need to step aside and whatever's going on is just going to have to wait. Because um, this is a, for that person or that family, this is a very sensitive moment. And those interruptions can really just detract from that rapport that we were talking about. The second thing is, is when you look at patient education in terms of what their understanding is of what's going on, it's the spectrum. I mean, you get adults that come in that, that really didn't have much schooling. They're just kind of blue collar, simple people. And then you get people that are a lot more educated. And so I think starting with maybe feeling out what their perceptions or their version of the story is going into it is also a great way to help them kind of frame uh, wrapping their brain around what you're about to tell them. Yeah. And then the final thing is, is once you break that news, just understand that pretty much anything you say after that is it's just not being processed. Yeah. So you, you don't want to just come out and say, I'm sorry, but they're dead um, or I'm sorry, right. they have cancer. You don't want to just come out and say it like that. You want to kind of build up to it. Yeah. And so that's just kind of helping them kind of mentally and emotionally prepare as well. Yeah. When you talk about time, that's actually whenever I, you know, have to go give somebody bad news or have to approach that subject. I literally tell nurses, Hey, mm. I'm going to go into room 10. I need you not to bother me. And I turn off, we, we use Vocera. So I turn it off to where I'm unmuted to where I can be in the room. Yeah. Um, Cause having been on the backside of some bad news, it's a little annoying to think that, you know, patient come in and say, Oh, look, here's an EKG. And you're like, really? Like he just yeah. told me this and you can't like have a sign that says leave us alone. So to me, that, that's a really, really key point is to actually set aside some time and let your staff know. Yeah. I'm gonna and and the thing is, you're not talking about eons of time, no. here, right? People are going to need more time and they, they're pretty respectful. I mean, most of the ER yeah. patients are pretty good. And that circle back technique, right? I, I do it's that killer. as well, Travis, that's a good idea. you know, because you know that your words are going to be lost. So you kind of, you, you kind of read, you land it. You, you need like two minutes, right? And I, I know that, you know, time is muscle, but the fact of the matter is that that two minutes is so important to that patient, and that family and, and doing it right. And there is no second chance. There's no overread. There's no doing it later. You got to do it right then. And just having that, that space, um, you know, and having the, and, and I think the nurses are great about that. I mean, yeah. they really want that, 
they want to protect you. They want to give you that. Maybe even nurses want to come in because right. they want to be a part of the right. healing too because they have yeah. to take care of the patient. So that's what I was going to say is, uh, you know, at a lot of the shops I work at, we don't have social workers. So right. some places will get a social worker to go in with them because yeah. you can't be in there the whole time. So like you said, that two, right. three minutes is, is so important to the family and, you know, everyone in the room. But it's important to have somebody in you know, as part of the medical team, as an extension of you right. to be able to try and handle a lot of that stuff so that when you do circle back, you kind of get a sense of what are some of the questions that have come up, where are we at, that sort of thing. So at my shop, we use a lot of our nurses that way. The nurses mm -hmm. will actually come into the room and be an extension of the physician yeah. so that when the physician has to step out, they can help kind of, kind of hurdle some of that stuff in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great technique. And, you know, we complain a lot in emergency medicine about lack of continuity and strangely enough, I find this one of the, sadly, but it's a really gratifying moment for me because I feel like we really get to connect with our patients. And, and I remember these conversations for years that I've had. Um, you know, most of the patients will come in and out and I'll, you know, I won't remember them a couple weeks later, but these stick around. They mean a lot to us as providers and, and you can only imagine how much they mean on the receiving end. So we talk about bad news. There's a lot of different, I mean, when I was making the list of all the bad news we have to give, you know, it's uh, pediatric death, adult death, cancer, Long miscarriages. They've had, I mean, even debilitating diagnoses. They've right. got MS. They've got, they've had a stroke. They've had a heart attack. You're um, pregnant. You're, you're not pregnant. pregnant is exactly you're not pregnant. You know, you're pregnant. You're not, <laughs> not pregnant. pregnant. Yeah. You know, you're miscarrying again. You, it's, you know. And it's all relative, right? For some people, the fact that they're going to the operating room or you broke your hip because you fell down, like that's a big deal to some people yeah. and so it's all it's all relative it's just you're always potentially breaking bad I news. was a little surprised yeah in, in sometimes we're caught off guard because yesterday I, I had to tell a gentleman that his ankle was broken and he broke down into tears and it ended up being because his wife is in the middle of her breast cancer chemo and he is the caregiver right now right and he that just it. changed everything right so sometimes we get caught off guard because like you said it's the spectrum it's it's different to everybody what we're telling you if there's a you know to me there there are some that are harder to give you know as a dad i'm it's never enjoyable to to tell a, a parents that their, their kid has died right. or as a somebody who's had his wife go through a miscarriage it's hard to give that diagnosis without getting teary-eyed and do you find yourself maybe point blank have you ever cried with the patient before yeah yeah i have. absolutely okay I, and, and that's okay, right? We can all agree sure. that that's more, more than more than socially yeah. appropriate. Why do we think, or why do you guys think that that might be considered? Because I feel like there's an older garb in our profession, or even just a stigma, that getting emotional with patients is a problem. Why, why do you think that is, and and what's your answer for it? I mean, I think it, it just in general, forget about doctor-patient relationship, yeah. but I think there's this nobody wants to ever show signs of weakness, and for whatever yeah. reason, breaking down and crying is a is a sign of weakness, yeah. and and it's not. It's not a sign of weakness. And so there's just this kind of old dogma of like, you know, you got to maintain professional demeanor and you can't break down. Like you got to keep it together when they're breaking down. And I, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. And I think patients actually, they know that you sincerely care when you're doing that yeah. as well. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the hardest part though is too, is we also have a duty and responsibility to that next patient we walk into. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, the hardest transition in emergency medicine, in my opinion, is going straight from a bad conversation, a difficult conversation that's emotionally involved with you, and then having to reset. And, and, and do it all over again, and potentially having another bad conversation. Yeah. Part of it too is, I think has a lot to do with one of the things that, that we're now recognizing, right, is there are now a lot more females in medicine, and traditionally females 
are much better about expressing emotions. And, and here's the thing, right? It's exactly like Salim said. It's 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 okay to to cry, um, but you do have to maintain control, right? You yeah. so there, there's a difference between shedding a tear with a patient mm-hmm. and being there and and losing it, yep. right? And that's and I think that the the fear is that you won't be able like if you open the dam a little bit that it's going to break and i think that's where emotional intelligence and that emotional maturity you know that you can reach a point where you can cry and release and feel better and say empathetic things to the family and then be able to step out of the room dry your eyes and go see that next patient and and to travis's point i think it's much healthier that way right you because otherwise you're carrying that the rest of your shift um, whereas even if you let out 20%, just, you know, just let the valve off a little bit and recognize, man, what a difference that can make for you. You guys remember the, I forget what, where it took place, but the picture of that doctor that mm-hmm. broke some bad news outside. and had to mm-hmm. kneel outside because yeah. he was crying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I took something away from that. I, I don't re- remember all the specifics of the story, but everyone is aware of the, the picture mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Yep. Um, sometimes I will, if if my dam has like opened up, so to speak, yeah. um, I will actually take one or two minutes and step outside yeah. out of the chaos and just take some deep breaths and right. kind of pull myself back together exactly. um, before I come back in. And that one to two minutes, um, it doesn't fix everything, but no. it, it kind of reins you back in so that you can go see that next, you know, I have this thigh pain for six months <laughs> right. or whatever it is that you're about to go see. Exactly. So, what do you guys have any closing thoughts? No, I, I, I one, I appreciate you bringing this topic up. Yeah. I think it's incredibly important for a lot of us, um, and and I just encourage all of us to keep the dialogue going. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to talk to your friends, um, watch people that, that that you know do it well, and you know we all need to get better at it, not only for ourselves but for our patients. You know, it's a skill like almost everything else in emergency medicine. If if you know, if you happen to be one of those people that you know you're not good at this, don't think it's something you're born with, right? This is something that yeah. that you can you can get better. I mean, we've we've all given some tips, but there are lots of, of other things out there. Don't don't be afraid of it, right? Just as important as it is to be the latest guru on the airway or know the latest technique for draining an abscess, right? man, this is something that's really important and can change your practice and can help you bounce back on a shift um, where you know you've done a better job. And that's what you really want, right? Each time you, you do this, you hate having to do it again, but you want it to be better. You want to have done right by the family and right by yourself. So, you know, taking, giving yourself that space to, to learn about it and recognize maybe if that's something you're not great at, that that's something you can get better at. You know, we always talk about time-critical situations or time-critical medications or therapies. I, I would put breaking bad news in that category. Um, this is the one time that patients and their families, like, this is time-sensitive, um, breaking this news to them. Again, it's relative in what the news is, but just like you prepare for any other uh, critical medical patient, this is the same thing. There's no reason to not prepare for this. And there's plenty of books and resources and things out there, people you can ask, pick their brains. Um, And so I think you should prepare for this like you would any other medical code Mm -hmm. um, or anything else. And and for whatever reason, it's always kind of fallen by the wayside. And I think it's, it's gaining more and more experience. The second two things I would say, and, and Travis hit the nail on the head is always be honest, never lie. Right. Even if it's the worst, hardest news to give someone, yeah. just be honest because all you have is your credibility um, at the end of the day. And it takes one lie to ruin that and years and years of work to build it. Um, and then the last thing is never, never, never destroy anybody's hope, no matter what. Um, 
even if it's a terminal diagnosis, there's still quality of life in the time that's remaining and destroying, there's nothing worse than destroying somebody's hope um, as you're, you're breaking that bad news. And so I think you really hit the nail on the head with those two points. Yeah, awesome. Well guys, thanks so much for coming on and being willing to talk about this hard hard topic. I know this is not the not the typical FOMED stuff right. that I know Salim hops into, but we appreciate you hopping on the conversation. This is fun, anytime. Yeah. yeah. And until next time, guys. Thanks everybody. Thanks for having us. So there we have it, everybody. First episode of 2018 in the bag. Thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to the dynamic year that is coming up to us here at EM Over Easy. And don't forget to follow us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and now on Stitcher and Google Play.